Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Crowdlinker Fireside Chat episode. I'm Aram Mukum of the host. Thanks for tuning in. On the show, I'm interviewing product and innovation leaders uh, who are working on big industry disruptive problems from within their organizations. A lot of my guests have been in the trenches and have lots of practical advice and experience to share about how to build quality digital products, staying agile, and always fostering an innovation mindset. This is season two, episode number nine, and I'm here with Bobby Shrivastav uh, to chat about going remote with her product team, hiring product managers, as well as sharing her insights on a founder product management dynamics. Uh, quick background on Bobby. Uh, she has been in, in the technology field since 2004 and specializes in digital transformation, process optimization, and re-engineering. Uh, in the past, her focus has been on coaching teams and managing large enterprise-level initiatives to deliver innovative products and solutions in the marketplace. Currently, she is the co-founder and CPO, so Chief Product Officer at Benikeva. We are all excited to have uh, her on our show today. So without further ado, welcome. Thank you for joining us today, Bobby. Thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to um, sharing my knowledge and, uh, and thank you for the opportunity. Before I, before I jump in, I was curious, just, uh, when I was reading your bio, it made me, made me think of a question. What is re-engineering? So, so re-engineering is um, taking the old, like the current process. So let's say from A to B and how do you, or like A to B to C and how do you engineer it and uh, optimize it so that it maybe it goes from A to C without the B. So I, uh, so a lot of uh, my background uh, has been studying like uh, Lean Six Sigma, which is all about like taking how to make processes better. Okay, cool. Well, uh, lots of good insight there already. <laughs> Starting off well. Um, so first couple of questions I wanted to ask was uh, talking about your journey uh, through COVID and, uh, you know, having a remote team. I know having spoken to a lot of other product innovation leaders or even CEOs, it's, it's something that's tough to do, uh, especially uh, product management, in my opinion, sometimes require a lot of face-to-face, -face, a lot of collaboration, whiteboarding sessions, you, like, you name it, right? Um, how has your team kind of fared so far or what, what are some of their, uh, what are some learnings you could share about how you were able to remain communicative, uh, productive and collaborative? So COVID, like with many other organizations, uh, was challenging. And for us, most of our critical hires came during COVID. So uh, our company grew tremendously. We uh, doubled our, our employee count. Um, but our team was, I call them rock stars, because what we did was we created a good process um, where it allowed um, for organization accountability. And we, we weaved in a lot of virtual, what we call relaxed time, whether, hey, let's share your favorite beverage to let's just, just talk about things that are happening in world. Um, from a process perspective, I will share that uh, we connected uh, in the morning towards the end of the day, we took opportunity to leverage storm boards. Uh, we heavily invested uh, in good documentation platforms like Confluence. 
just to make life easy for us because we can't do a virtual we can't do a whiteboard session, but we could do a virtual whiteboard session. So we we took opportunities for for that. What what is storm stormboarding? Sorry, I'm learning as I'm going here. <laughs> stormboard is an uh, is a application that allows you to do um, brainstorming. So what we did was we used um, stormboards for our strategic planning uh, as a com- uh, from a founder perspective as well as. Um, I did strategic planning with our product team. So think about, uh, you know, in Agile, there's a concept of um, when you do retrospectives, you you start talking about things that uh, if you've tip, if you've done a retrospective, you typically talk about themes as well as for each one of those themes, where are you going to start, 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 stop, and continue? That framework, Stormboard, allowed us to do that. So typically, whenever you're on like Zoom, what we didn't want to do is the loudest voice have the most talk about all of the all of their pieces. While everybody's different, right? So we allowed for hey, t- take time and document, document, document your themes, and then vote. So it allowed you to vote for those mm-hmm. items so that we can talk about the most important outside of just, hey, I want to talk about this. So it allowed us to control some of that chaos that in face-to-face, we could have just said, it's easy to say, okay, enough, right? Yeah. But in virtual, you can't, right? How do you read somebody's body language, right? Um, so it, it's, a, it's a very good tool to allow us to do uh, some brainstorming sessions and in a controlled and non-chaos way. Okay, very cool. And uh, you mentioned uh, um, using Confluence. Um, why not Notion or some other options? We're so invested in Jira from okay. our dev process. So it, it just makes sense. Uh, we are also in the mindset of, for our customers, we tell them, one claims and servicing solution instead of going to multiple systems. We do the same thing with, with ours. Um, with Jira and the Atlassian suite, it just gives us a lot of flexibility to even look at other marketplace items like Draw.io. So instead of having a Visio program, we use Draw.io. So everything and everything is in one place. So people are not going into multiple logins. Okay, very cool. And uh, any plans on going back to in-person or are no. you staying fully remote? <laughs> We've been a remote a remote shop uh, to begin with, but what we are doing is we're weaving in for each one of our satellite locations, we're weaving in like quarterly connects. So last weekend we did a Benikiva, North Carolina <laughs> uh, get together where we gave an invite to anybody who wants to come in, totally respect if they still don't choose to come because it's we're still in a pandemic, but we are starting to have more sessions, face-to-face sessions, but it's it COVID has allowed us to really focus on what's most critical versus just getting together to just get together. And I think now we're going in with those tools and skill set where we as resources or employees are saying, I can do this virtually. Guys, let's, there's no need to fly or no need to do face-to-face. 
So I think we we now know which meetings or sessions are more face-to-face -face versus what we can accommodate through remote. And we've done some tough things in remote. So, so now it, it allows us to really, when we do face-to-face, it allows us to really focus on critical, critical items mm -hmm. and uh, not just for anything, let's fly and, and let's meet up here. Okay. And what would you say are like those like uh, critical reasons to have face-to-face -face meetings? So for us, um, I'll give you a quick example uh, where uh, myself and another founder connected face-to-face. -face. It was, we are uh, adding a, another we're adding two more big feature sets and how do we communicate that to customers from a marketing and sales perspective so brent heads up our sales and we share marketing and i'm i'm on the product side so we had to get together and we can't do that over zoom because it's going to be it's so easy at those points when we're looking at strategy to really say Okay, we're last year we were forced to do strategy in a different way, but now we can take those opportunities and really have that dialogue where it can help move the, the needle for our company. So that was a reason why we did face-to-face. -face. Another reason to do face-to-face -face that's coming up soon is exactly that. We've hired a marketing agency and in, and especially when you're investing your money into a marketing agency, you want to make sure that they understand critical pieces. My team can work remote doesn't mean that your team works remote. Mm -hmm. So we are investing money and in coming and ensuring that they get it. So okay, interesting. Okay, cool. That's uh, lots of good insight there. Um, before we actually started recording the session today, Bobby, you mentioned that you you hired another PM uh, that joined your team, and I know that you're um, you have some interesting perspectives or viewpoints when it comes to hiring product managers. Um, I think one of them is the triple threat mindset. So can you tell me? Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is? Absolutely. So as a startup, your biggest resource is time and your people, and we cannot be in the mindset of, let me just hire somebody and I will train them. Or vice versa, let me hire a super senior person and hope that they can get their hands dirty. So these are lessons that we've learned in our journey and that keeps solidifying the triple threat uh, approach. So for our company and my department, which is product and delivery, I look for three things. Project management, have you done project management in a large enterprise or large, um, large scale way, right? Have you delivered B2B solutions or have worked in a big complex organizations where you know you have to navigate the organization, the politics, the change management? Mm -hmm. So I look for that skill set um, because that becomes very important for us because from a B2B perspective, we're serving insurance companies. They're already behind in technology and they have complex organizations. So you can't put a somebody that doesn't know project management and expect them to, to, um, to do well. The second skill set I look for is architecture. So at, because we're in that B2B space and the technology space, we oftentimes get pulled in by our customers who do wanna do the whiteboarding session. 
So if you don't understand how to build solutions or how to architect solutions, you add no value to that conversation, which means I have to add another person so that they can add that value. So my product team comes from, comes from project management, comes from architecture, meaning they have designed and developed solutions because we add value in those conversations to our customers. And then the third piece, which is the most important piece also is the product. Have you worked in developing feature sets for a product or have worked for a SaaS organization? Because to me, like product doesn't mean I've built a product from scratch. It could mean that I've worked with a product to enhance it. So do you understand the concept of features? Do you understand the concept of taking that feature and breaking it down into multiple, we're agile, multiple stories? Have you, do you, have you done that work and have you led that work? So that's my triple threat. So the, the latest person that we hired comes from project management, worked for a very large company. So, so it's awesome, comes from architecture and he has product experience. So that's the triple threat resource. It becomes very hard to find these people, but when you find them, you just hire them. You don't even, you don't let them go. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. Just drawing a parallel from our own product studio. Um, a lot of our PMs act as the project managers, right? The product managers. Sometimes the scrum masters, if uh, you know, we don't have enough capacity to bring on another scrum master. But then, most importantly, is the account manager. Mm-hmm. So you know, to to your point there, I I think one of the big success factors when it comes to, um, in especially in the B two B space for a product manager who's working with like your insurance uh, type of uh, clients, is having those soft skills or having that account management type of mindset a bit. Um, where customer service is also important from to them and that they have a good EQ. Mm-hmm. Oh, would you say that that's something else that you might consider as a fourth, as a fourth threat, soft <laughs> skills? So my definition of project management is uh, less 80%. Uh, I learned this a long time ago. Project management, people say it's a hard skill. No, it's not. is soft skills, 20% is the technical Mm know-how. I can train somebody that 20% of create a spreadsheet or put it in Jira, here's the format. I can't teach you how to work with business owners or when somebody yells at you for not doing that and you're not lashing out, you're having that emotional intelligence, that EQ to kind of stay that. So I loop that into my project management category. Okay, but I do agree. I, I do agree about um, account management skill set because that, uh, you know, we are, when we work with customers, in a way, my team members are like, they act like an account manager because mm-hmm. they're, they have to be, they're the face for our company with them. Interesting. And uh, when it comes to training, um, you said that you look for uh, these skill sets, the triple threat, right? Um, is there any training that you do provide, um, coaching or anything that to the PMs that you yeah. bring in, like anything that that is specific, maybe to to your approach or to your uh, your business? So the good thing is when when I do look at that mix, that triple threat mix. 
the coaching and training is not on the hard skills, which to me is like, honestly, it takes the most time. Mm -hmm. If I'm teaching a brand new person on how to do product management from scratch, right? What I do provide uh, or what we provide is how do you navigate for our industry? How do you navigate an insurance carrier or your customer, how do you provide that solutions focused approach? Because everybody's going to work at it differently. And some people, um, you know, it's, it's like, how do you become a consultant and ask good questions so that you're, you're adding value to them as well as there's a probability that we're landing and expanding within that customer because they find that we're such value. So those are those experiences that we coach them on and share with them. A lot of it is um, like, uh, come, uh, come observe me and I'm gonna do a facilitated session. So you could see how we're navigating this uh, workshop mm -hmm. uh, so that they're equipped and they can be successful in doing their own facilitation and add their own flavor to it. Another training that we do is invite them to industry um, seminars or workshops. I'm at the point where I would love my team is amazing. Like I'm putting them to, uh, to speak, right? Go share your knowledge with our customers because our customers don't have to just see me or Brent or another, you know, Sovin as another founder speaking about what we do as best practice in our arena. We have a good team, giving them the opportunity to hone in those public speaking skill sets. So I know some members of our team, A, they love it. They want that or B, they're like, eh. mm -hmm. so we, we kind of give them the, at least giving them the opportunity where they want to hone in on those skill sets. Very interesting. It's a good segue into my next question I have for you, Bobby, which is like in the startup realm, scale up realm, um, it's quite a large contrast from what we've seen as a, as a product development firm when we work with startups or with enterprises, where innovation leaders or product leaders in large organizations uh, sometimes can hire for very specific roles, but ultimately kind of struggle with that digital transformation mindset or the solutioning mindset. Whereas for startups, it's more like, you know, you're constantly evolving, you're constantly testing, iterating, you're solutioning on like problems to solutions. Um, can, can you, can you, you touched upon already some good points there, but can you talk a little bit more about what your digital transformation mindset is uh, and how it might differ from like the mainstream, especially in the insurance space, which is very archaic, as you said. Yeah, I mean, uh, I worked with organizations that <laughs> that brought in like these super senior leaders from overseas even, and ultimately didn't move the needle for the organization. I approach digital transformation as we're, we wanna do something that's truly transformative. So I follow a lot of like Sadhguru, which is uh, like an Indian philosopher. And I love his definition of transformation, which is like, there is no residue of past. Most of these in digital transformation leaders, they focus so much on changing, right? They're focused on change. Let me take this paper, let me take this paper process or this web process and put in 
the a digital layer, digital wrapper, that's change. That's not transformation. With us as startups, we're always looking to move the needle, right? And because we are so close to the customer, we are we we're driven by tr- uh, change. Not not change. We're driven by how do we make a mark on the industry? How do we truly transform? And sometimes you are going to take that what I call it crawl, walk, run, because you you can't change an industry overnight. You're gonna, but your vision and your mission has to be transformation, and your path and your journey has to be how do you chip away, chip away that past so that it's truly this is the new, new model, new way of doing business. Interesting. Um, and uh, as a product leader, as a CPO, um, you come across probably a lot of tough questions or roadblocks or challenges. Uh, you know, every day potentially, right? Where do you turn to for um, guidance or advice or uh, another perspective on how to go about solving this problem? So for me, I have a, a, net, a network of like-minded individuals that I can connect with. So I have a, uh, I've been fortunate that I've built a very good mentor network in my journey from corporate that served me also in startup. Also, uh, I built this similar type of network structure, mentor circle in my startup that have worked closely with insurance. So like next, I try to find ways to connect with people and with even with COVID, having a one-on-one session just to keep in touch with people. Now we are opening up a bit. So never like I never one of the biggest advice I would give people, never forget the power of your network because it will come in and serve you at the right point of time. There's also a never like I also look at learning and knowledge, right? There's plenty of, if I'm struggling with a tactical concept or just want to hear another point of view, going on YouTube to my favorite, or like listening to podcasts, right? There's a podcast that I was following from Reed Hoffman on, uh, think of what was that, trans- innovation of change or change makers. Those stuff like inspire you because you're hearing from other founders or other leaders on how they blocked and tackle. So keeping a wide variety of people, YouTube, even TikTok, and and, uh, and a podcast has kind of kept me sane. Interesting. And um, with your knowledge that you have now and everything that you've, you know, you talk about where you go for advice and all the knowledge you've built over this time, what would you, what advice would you give uh, to people listening who are either starting off in the process uh, as a product innovation leader um, or even our senior? Um, if you were to go back at the beginning of your career, knowing what you know now, what, what, what would you recommend to them? Learn and learn more, but not just learn more, try to find applicable ways to execute that within your organization. Also, keep networking, like find these areas of people that don't look like you or 
don't, they're in a department that you may want to be at. That's one thing I wish I had done because uh, earlier on my career, in my career, I was very technical, but I loved what the product people would do because I felt like they had the most fun because they were working on commercialization and marketing. And I had wished earlier on, I would have networked with more of those people. Like, especially when I worked at companies like Pepsi, think about that network that I, I mean, now it's hard to go back. Um, but I think that's the, that's the pieces in your, wherever you're at in life, whether you're in a job or you're looking for a job, look at people that are in that role that you want to be and just get a one-on-one, -on -one, do an internship, do a side project with them. I learned that a little bit later in my career. So when I was working at a, an organization that I knew that I wanted to move more into product, what I did was I did my regular role uh, from uh, managing my tech, uh, technical department, but I also asked them to, to sit in on those sessions and do some of the, the commercialization work or sit in on those meetings so that I understood what they meant by commercialization. Your, how do you commercialize your innovation? So that would be more of doing that earlier as my feedback. Oh, okay, it's really interesting. Yeah, we, um, we brought on a, a few new product managers uh, internally at our company where I think uh, gonna be five soon. And um, the amount of knowledge they all share is just so different and diverse from enterprise to startups to scale-ups. And um, it's always, it's, they always want to learn and I'm always trying to coach them or mentor them, but there's just already so much content out there, as you said, right. Um, that people can go and, and follow. But uh, I really like the idea of like the finding one-on-one -on -one time with people and we're starting to try to do that more and more so that uh, it could build a better, better support or, or better coaching um, mentorship uh, option for them to grow and to learn about like the business side or like, you know, the PNL of what a P what a product manager should be looking at when they're building out their products so that they have some visibility into the business uh, as well. So all, all really good points. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that Bobby. Yeah. Um, Lastly, I just want to touch upon um, a couple more points um, that I wanted to ask you. Uh, I know you've been quite involved in the startup communities world, um, where I know your focus uh, has been helping out founders, understanding the product management side uh, of, like, of the house. And so I wanted to ask, why, why did you choose this as your focus? So I'll I'll share a little bit of um, little bit of the why. So uh, 2019 is I was invited to this group of uh, community leaders to talk about how do we build product management skill set into into the startup community because what we were finding is folks that were very good in business that had an idea or people that were super technical that can build anything, what was lacking is this bridge of business and technical. And that middle layer is my definition of product management, right? Like bridging business and tech, right? And so last year I was invited to do a session, very technical and 
I brought in those products uh, like MVP, you know, product roadmap, but I touched on it because the focus for this particular um, uh, organization was they need more technical. Bobby, they need like, how do they vet technical partners? And and I was like, well, I think they need to know more about product, right? But I did what they what they shared. And to this year, they're like, we totally missed the mark. They want to do management. So I think that's been my focus is because I've been there, right? As a startup, I didn't gain product management skill set overnight. It came, right? It came through experiences and and the why, right? Like, how do you move this tech product into commercialization? What is that skill set? So that's my focus is the lessons I've learned since my getting into startup world into, you know, like, let's, uh, let's give back, right, to startup founders. Most of these startup founders know, they know why they want to, you know, they, they don't need help in this whole, like the, you know, value proposition and all that fun stuff. They may need to hone that on the marketing side. They need to know how do you take from an idea into production and sell it? So to me, that skill set is product management. So that's why I focus on it. So that, you know, it's whatever you learn, it's so good to give back. So, and we are seeing trends. So, and that, and it's like, why not take time out of your, your day and give back? And this is my way of giving back. That's great. I mean, you're passing down the knowledge. You're, what's the expression? You're passing it forward. Or, yeah. yeah, pay it forward. Pay it forward. Thank you. Um, when I started, I had lots of mentors that paid it forward to me. You know, so you oh. just have to take that take that train forward. That's very true. Um, you're also kind of in, in a unique situation because I mean, you're the CPO, but also the co-founder. I, I wanted to ask you, what gaps do you most frequently see in this dynamic of a relationship between? I mean, in your case, you're the co-founder and CPO, but in some other organizations that, you know, that exist, there's a lot of founder influence towards the product management side of things. Um, and sometimes, you know, it could influence or dictate some of the decisions and might lead to kind of poor results. So I wanted to get your perspective on that kind of uh, uh, understanding in terms of what to watch out for. Yeah, uh, I've uh, coached other startups where, uh, or I've even observed other startups. I think the biggest thing for a founder is getting out of your team's way. Even, even if you're in product, right? Like I have amazing team that have done their research and they know what they're doing. It's, it's giving them the autonomy and not micromanaging. Cause I know as a founder, it's your baby and but you've got to, you hired the right skill set, you hired the right team. So giving them the autonomy and allowing them to learn and it's okay to fail because guess what? They're going to learn and you're going to learn because you've seen their process. So that's my approach to like telling the other folks, like don't influence the product. You don't, if you're not in the product space and you've hired a rockstar product manager who's conflicting with you, let write it out, give them that room because you may be surprised what you learn from that. And what, what, what advice would you give um, to help unlock or 
you know, break down those walls uh, between a founder and product manager. Like you said some around letting them kind of go with it, don't micromanage them. But in real life, there's like the theory and then there's a practice. Like how do you give them that autonomy at the end of the day? So for my team, they have full access to dev team. They, uh, if we are committed to a sprint goal, and they want to lead this area and experiment with this product feature, go for it. You've got a month to figure out if it's, it's a yes or no. The good thing is because everything is documented and we, we talk about it. So what happens is that learning, if it's, if it's, whether it's a good or a bad, that learning stays within, within that uh, knowledge base. So if I did, like, let's say I hired another product person and they wanted to tackle a similar skill, the feature set, they can look in the repository and get the insights, the, the why, the how, where we excelled, where there were failures. Um, that's, that's been my approach, um, is giving them full access to, to the dev team. Interesting. Um in another recording that we had with another um, uh, product leader, they mentioned something interesting, which we're trying to do more in our own organization, which is giving the product managers access to the full PNL of like the business, so that when they go and make it, when they decide on what feature to build next and how much ROI potential they could derive in terms of user growth or revenue, they understand what's at stake in terms of the costing behind every decision. Wanted to get your perspective on that. I think uh, that that's actually a good idea. Like giving them, giving them like if we built this feature set, um, like we have uh, one that's coming up that I may try to, I may need to like listen to this uh, podcast myself. Um, but what we haven't, uh, we haven't done the, the piece where let's create this uh, this commercialization pro uh, product and if it goes in the marketplace this is the this is the amount of imp like the revenue implication or this is the cost and here's our opportunity we could actually take that into an incentive model for the product team right okay. maybe like not hurt them if it doesn't work out like we'll have to figure out maybe punishment and burpees uh, or, or some type of a, a, an activity, but if if they're if they're on a hunch and and it does provide if it brings in like hundred k in revenue, how do you reward that? How do you reward that? I, th I think that's really interesting. Um, I, the penalized I, piece we have to think about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if there's other I ideas, I would like to know. Awesome, awesome, cool. Well, that was. Um... That was awesome. Thank you so much, Bobby. I think uh, lots of great insight here that uh, hopefully the listeners are going to love and, and uh, pass on or pay it forward as well uh, as, as, uh, as we discussed. So um, for everybody listening, tune in next time for another um, Crowdlinker Fireside Chat episode where we are talking with more product innovation leaders to uh, get some knowledge transfer coming your way. So thank you again, Bobby. It was great having you. Thank you.